And to me, a life well lived is probably, you know, more important um, in what we really want to discover. But that's not what society really teaches us to do. Society and school is really kind of putting us on that track, which is um, the survival living well piece, you know. Um, but a life well lived is really not taught in school. So I feel like um, it's something that each individual has to explore, um, especially when things don't feel right in life. You're doing the living well track. You're studying hard. You're going to the school that you're supposed to go to. You're, you're getting the job that you're supposed to get, but something feels off. And in that process of something feeling off, I think that's when we begin to explore, am I living, is this the life, is it, this is, I'm doing everything right, but why doesn't it feel well? Doesn't it really necessarily feel good? And that's when you start to explore, I think, what does it mean um, to have a life well lived? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Reflections on Living Well podcast where we explore perspectives on the good life in the 21st century. I am your host, Roderick Rodell. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, everyone. Today we'll be speaking with Etch Herring. Etch is a functional medicine health coach and entrepreneur. She is also a personal development advisor with extensive experience partnering with individuals and innovative community leaders to help them discover and manifest their core intentions and authentic purpose. Using transformation-driven strategies, she works with organizations to create inspirational products and services that encourage personal growth in individuals and their communities. Hey, Etch, how are you doing? Fine, thank you. Hi, Broderick. I'm excited at, to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have you here and have this conversation um, about the good life. I think it's a, such an important conversation to be, to have uh, always, and uh, but in particularly right now with all of the various events happening in the world, um, it's always important to give some attention to what it means to do to live well, to 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 do good, to be good, to explore these these this subject is uh, is a value. I think at least. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell us a little yeah. bit more about you. Who, who are you, Etch? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I'm, I'm just a person trying to figure out what this life matrix is all about, you know? Um, let's see. Um, I grew up in two countries, Japan and the U.S. Um, so that kind of gave me a very, a slightly different perspective on life. Um, I, um, I'm coming from having a design background and then working in marketing. And um, what I loved about working in marketing was it was all about, um, I hate to say manipulating, but really understanding what people, how people behave and what drives them to behave the way they do and um, using sort of emotional impact or appeal to emotion to get people to be drawn to product. And that always fascinated me. And um, uh, while it can be used to sell product, it can be used for, many better intentions as well. So um, I transitioned then um, to functional medicine health coaching, where I thought I could take what I've learned about marketing, but um, perhaps apply it to um, living well. And um, what are the ways that emotions affect the way we um, behave and those behaviors dictate whether we live a healthy life or unhealthy life. So um, that's where I've landed in sort of this space. Um, over the years. Well, that's great. So we can definitely, I can go ahead and ask you already. <laughs> what, what is this uh, living well? What does it mean to live well to you? Um, okay. So I, I'm going to distinguish between living well, um, to me, has a lot of social definition to it, you know, um, study hard, make lots of money, go to good school, make money, uh, get married, buy the house in the suburb, have kids, work really hard till you're 65, retire and then sit on the beach or play golf and tennis. You know, that's kind of the good life living well. Society kind of tells us that. But then I think it's also different from a life well lived. And to me, a life well lived is probably, you know, more important um, in what we really want to discover. But that's not what society really teaches us to do. 
society and school is really kind of putting us on that track, which is um, the survival living well piece, you know, um, but a life well lived is really not taught in school. So I feel like um, it's something that each individual has to explore, um, especially when things don't feel right in life. You're doing the living well track. You're studying hard. You're going to the school that you're supposed to go to. You're, you're getting the job that you're supposed to get, but something feels off. And in that process of something feeling off, I think that's when we begin to explore, am I living? Is this the life? Is it, this is, I'm doing everything right, but why doesn't it feel well? Doesn't it really necessarily feel good? And that's when you start to explore, I think, what does it mean um, to have a life well lived? So I'm going to kind of leave it there for now. Yeah. So a life well lived. So <laughs> yeah. let's unpack that. You know, I think um, I like how you 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 term that or uh, phrase that rather. That's the the ancient Greeks used to talk about that idea yeah. of living a virtuous life, a eudaimonia, yes. the life well lived. So yes. can you unpack that a little bit more? What what does that mean? A life well lived. If it's not those things that you that society is encouraging us to do, mm-hmm. um, what is it then? Well. Um, So the ancient Greeks who sort of pondered this and figured this out, you know, their survival needs are probably met. But for, you know, 99% of the rest of the population, their survival needs weren't met. And so most people were just trying to get to, I think, the past 2,000 or 3,000 years, humanity's been trying to get to that living well standard, right? And um, we're kind of currently living in that space where we've gotten to the living well. But... Um, few of us are sitting around and pondering, you know, what is the life well lived? And what they found out was, and I think that this is the thing, living well tends to be focused on our external needs, you know, uh, a house, a roof over our head, plenty of food, uh, fun activities, whereas um, a life well lived in eudaimonia is more focused on the internal factor, internal values, internal um, states of being, Um what you might also Maslow might have called self-actualization. So a life well lived seems to be one where your those internal, uh, true internal needs are addressed, um, satisfied, and um, being worked on um, as you're going through, you know, the basic everyday thing of being a human. You know, eating, sleeping, drinking. You know, all of those things that we do just to to have a body here. At, on this earth. Um, so, so when, if we can get to that space where we can think about the true sort of, um, virtues and happiness, that eudaimonia piece, um, I think it's, it's that internal reflection. Some people call it spiritual. Um, some people call it consciousness, but living from that space. So in other words, instead of being a material being, occasionally having a spiritual experience, you kind of switch over to being fundamentally a conscious spiritual being, having a material experience. Um, mm. That's kind of a easy, you know, simple summary, but. No, that sounds great. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to unpack that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. What, what, um, forever, right? Beyond yeah, this, yeah. Uh, this, this conversation for sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess that's the purpose of this whole uh, podcast yeah. is to keep this dialogue, this conversation that's going. That's right. That's so, right. So how did you get interested in these things? You mentioned um, the ancient Greeks and Greek philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but other than that, uh, you can elaborate on that more as well. But what, mm-hmm. what uh, drew you to reflecting on these types of questions and mm-hmm. pursuing this type of um, pursuing um, what's the word I'm looking for? Work, doing work mm-hmm. in this uh, mm-hmm. with the pursuit of yeah. uh, enhancing well-being. You, you know, the funny thing is, and and my theory is that. Um, you know, we try to escape human suffering. We, we, we want to be, you know, alleviate ourselves from human suffering. But suffering is the way, the entry point to sort of these openings to exploring these topics, right? So I think I, this is going to sound maybe ridiculous, but um, when I was a teenager and I was in the United States, um, I was in the Midwest and, um, you know, Asian in an entirely a sea of white kids, right? And um it, it was, you know, I, I just kind of noticed, I mean, there were prejudices, you know, I experienced prejudices and so on. Um, but there was teenage angst as there, as it is, there's teenage angst going on. But 
on top of that, when you add another layer of being from a different culture, having parents that, you know, don't understand the culture and what's normal um, in terms of going to football games and you can't do that, you know, go to a dance, can't do that. So there was just all this internal, I think, um, uh, you, you know, struggle that was going on with my own personal identity. And uh, around that time, at, I was 16, 17 years old, you know, I read Herman Hesse's um, Siddhartha, and then I read Narcissus and Goldman, you know, and I started going down this path of, oh my gosh, you know, there's a way to look at life that is beyond this, you know, uh, good life thing of, you know, going to parties, going to the football game, you know, so maybe it was teenage angst, but um, that kind of threw me into this exploration of, oh gosh, what is it, you know, what is identity? What is it to me? What does it mean to be happy? And um, uh, what's the purpose and meaning of life? You know, these big questions are kind of um, coming to me. So I would say I'm going to attribute it to teenage angst. You know, that was my port of entry. <laughs> Wow. You're right. I think that uh, challenges in life, suffering. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when we use the word suffering, you know, folks may think that it's, you know, you have to have something really uh, traumatic and that equates mm -hmm. suffering. You know, suffering can be um, this dissatisfaction or, yeah. or emotional dissatisfaction, psychological dissatisfaction. Totally. The things are not going your way. That's a, that's a type of suffering. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it just gnaws at you. Right. Uh, that, uh, exactly. And, uh, and I think that's what negative emotion, or negative or survival emotions. And mm -hmm. I, I call them survival emotions because I think they're there to message something to us, you know, um, and, and, and the body is programmed pretty brilliantly, you know, to tell mm -hmm. us mm, something's not right. And it, it assists the whole internal process to kind of know that you need to make some adjustments here or you need to this is your check engine light, you know, uh, mm -hmm. go, go look under the hood. That's what it is. You know, exactly. those yeah. hurtful emotions or just difficult emotions that you actually feel in your body are um, an indicator that's saying, you know, it's time to look under the hood and see what's going on inside. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, emotions encourage us to act. Uh, yes. You know, those feelings, Whatever, we, we may not necessarily always comprehend them, but it compels us to do something, to act. Right. And, and exactly. Being, and doing what you did, you know, reflecting, being self-reflective, uh, studying, reading. Herman Hesse is such a, has such a place, <laughs> such a significant figure in so many people's lives. So Dartha mm -hmm. in particular. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so how does these, uh, the, these challenges, mm -hmm. how do they uh, inspire us? Or encourage us to to act to do something about our current condition. Um, so uh, it, it's it's interesting. Um, I don't think a lot of people know how to do. It. That's why we have so much. I mean, alcoholism, um, drug addiction, um, depression, anxiety. I mean, that's part of what we're trying to do address. My sister and I with this this kind of company that we created, but. I, society and school doesn't really help us address those issues other than to medicate or to numb out or to distract, uh, to, um, you know, kind of push them aside. Right. Um, I mean, even Netflix is a great way to you know, distract yourself from feeling mm -hmm. bad, you know? Um, so we, so we know of ways to sort of set it aside, push it aside, but we don't really have the methodology to go in and face it, you know, um, uh, unless you've kind of uh, gleaned through some wisdom or somebody influential, somebody influences your life and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, you know, what about self-exploration? What about self-awareness? Maybe it's a therapist. I mean, I think a lot of people pay a therapist um, to go and have them tell you it's time to explore yourself, you know, let's create, let's find inner awareness, but school's not educating you to that. Right. I mean, you can be the most successful person. And it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast or an interview of Richard uh, or no, Stephen Bartlett. And, you know, he was this guy at, he's, he's, um, uh, black grew up in England and by 30, he had amassed this wealth. His company went public and he said on, he said, I, inside, I, I wasn't happy. You know, inside I was kind of feeling empty. 
And that moment I realized, you know, here he was living well, he was doing the ideal dream living well. But why did he feel empty inside? He didn't feel fulfillment. He didn't feel that happiness that he was chasing after, right? And so basically society tells us living well is accomplishing all these material milestones, but we're not educated to finding your true self, you know, creating self-awareness, um, finding eudaimonia. You know, society doesn't do it. I think once upon a time, religion did that. You know, religion was a source of teaching us some of these values, but morals, um, you know, guidance to the internal, but they became institutionalized. They, they were lost. And um, so today, I think finding that guidance is really difficult. And maybe that's why partially people are turning to meditation and contemplative practice um, because we're realizing, oh, you know, we got to address this. Um, otherwise, we're all heading towards burnout. Right. Mm -hmm. Society burn societally speaking, we're going towards burnout. And then the Surgeon General is telling us that isolation is our biggest, you know, ne our next epidemic right now. Right. So um, what is that? Why is that happening? Right. Um, mm -hmm. It's probably because we've been trying to live well and in the process of living, attempting to live well and catch up to that whole material standard. We're all hitting burnout, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a particular version of living well. Right. And I think that exactly. it's missing something. It's missing all these other factors. Right, um, right. It's, you know, you brought up quite a few things there that kind of points to this. You know, our, our emphasis on materialism mm -hmm. um, and our focus on, or I would say our, our reduction of ourselves to simple, simply matter. The matter mm -hmm. of us, the body is primary and our consciousness and the subsequent feelings, thoughts, emotions are epiphenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they come out of matter magically. Right. Right. We just completely accept that. Right. And so to live good is what mm -hmm. we can see materially. Right. Uh, how much do you have? Um, our, even though our, the, the, What's the word I'm looking for? The social construct mm -hmm. that we've created is a set of ideas, but we don't really value. We value ideas, but we don't really value the exploration of those ideas mm -hmm. in and of themselves right. and how they relate to the story that we hold or we carry about what it means to actually live well. Yeah. It's like, no, we're living well. You got all your food, your, your, your basic needs met. Yeah. And then you have a lot of extra to play, which is great. That's a mm -hmm. part of it. Yeah. And there, there's, there's this other aspect that we do not give attention to. You mentioned education. Do we, you know, I have what I went through, uh, undergrad, graduate school, got a PhD and I never took a philosophy course. Mm-hmm. I was never challenged to think about what it means to be a human being, what it means to be a scientist. Why didn't I take a, at least a course in the philosophy of science, the you know, ideas, the exploration of ideas? What is the story behind science? But yet I have a doctorate of philosophy. Um, and I value that education. I value that, yeah. that um, emphasis on you know, materially or physically learning about the universe and figuring out how to make the world better yeah. mechanically, physically, that's, that's, of re that's really important. Yeah. But yeah. there was so much negated mm -hmm. and such that, you know, we have what we see in the world today, highly successful people, scientists with lots of bad ideas and not well thought out <laughs> ideas because I just don't think they've been trained. We've been trained to think mm -hmm. about the narrative that we're actually carrying. Um, yeah. And so that narrative is going to influence how we view what is good. Mm -hmm. What is, what is good? How do yeah. we use these, the science and this technology? Right. What are we doing it for? Right. What's um, the purpose of it? What's the purpose? Yeah. Of it? Well, we want to make human life better in terms of what? Yeah. We want to extend human life. Okay, great. 
but what about the quality? What is that qualitative right. aspect? Um, and why? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's, I find it totally ironic that the father of quantum mechanics, you know, quantum physics, Max Planck said, all material is derived from consciousness. Mm-hmm. And yet currently, you know, a lot of modern science is telling us the opposite, right? That it's the physical world that projects or emanates, you know, consciousness or any thoughts or emotions, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there are enough uh, physicists that probably might be stating that eh, it might be the other way around, yeah. you know. But they're afraid to say it because of the paradigm that we're living in. And it's hard mm-hmm. to kind of buck that. That's changing. That's changing. Yeah. And I think people are starting to see the absurdity of it. Yeah. I, but it touches on something else that you brought up. Why did we, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. And you brought up religion. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the Western Enlightenment, uh, mm-hmm. the scientific enlightenment turned to scientific materialism and said that a lot of, uh, and I get it, you know, 15th, 14th century Europe, you know, the, uh, there's a lot I of superstition. Want, yeah. I, you know? I want to be careful with my words right. here because I'm right. not an anti-religious person right. per se. Right. Right. But there are certain superstitions and very childlike perspectives on religion that was the dominating was dominating the culture right and you know that scientific revolution was very important to kind of push that stuff aside yeah but kind of threw the baby out the bathwater and not uh given enough not valuing devaluing these other aspects that are metaphors for how to live yeah and just because certain metaphors are antiquated or well, f- more fantasy-like, yeah, um, or even childlike today. The way we look at some of those, that doesn't mean that there's there isn't any value in there, right? And right. To totally disregarding and put it to the side. This is the kind of stuff that you're going to get in a society. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's where I love. Um, Karen Armstrong wrote a book, you know, on compassion, and and she basically said that if you look at the world's religions, she was a former nun who um, left the church, became a reporter, um, and then author and started this sort of compassion movement. But um, I think she studied at Oxford. But um, she said basically that at the core of all the world's religions is this notion of compassion, you know, and there's a teaching of basically spirituality. But over the years, institutions come in, power play comes in. You know, when you think about it, the Christians were, you know, suddenly one day Constantine, you know, is looking at this going, hey, if you can get the Christians to go to the lion's den for you, that's pretty powerful psychology. So he becomes a Christian, right? And he goes, that's how I want to roll. Um, but so there's a power to that, which has been harnessed over the centuries by kings and, you know, various power power players. Um, but remember, the masses were uneducated, right? They were mm-hmm. taking their cues from these people who knew what they were doing better than they did. Um, and so times have changed, right? We, we're more educated now. And I... I really, uh, my fundamental belief is that science and religion are actually looking at the same universe in the same world, mm-hmm. but they're coming at it from different uh, locus points. But so science without spirituality is misguided. And then spirituality without science can become superstitious. So um, I think the two of them actually are looking at one reality. And I think when I look at like quantum physics or physics as it is today, post-Newtonian physics, some of it just sounds really mystical to me, you know? Woo. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, some of this stuff out there, I'm going, whoa, that's really mind blowing. You know, that, you know, some scientists are saying we're a projected holograph from black hole. This is all an illusion. And I'm going, Hey, that's Hindus have been saying that for, you know, millennia. So, um, I, I think there are actually two sides of, you know, viewing this one reality. So it, you know, meditation has been just a normal thing, an accepted normal practice in various, you know, centuries old, you know, millennia old religious traditions, right? But meditation was only re- until, you know, very recently looked at as some, eh, some practice that these monks do, whatever. So the Dalai Lama goes and gets his brain scanned at Stanford and suddenly it's like, oh, meditation, this stuff is good, you know? And so now Palo Alto, everybody's meditating. So... <laughs> I mean, so I I really think that we live in an interesting time where maybe this is the time that science and spirituality can, you know, kind of 
come to see the balance of each other, you know, and yeah. ins- and receive inspiration from one another. So it's yeah. kind of where I think historically we might be right now. Yeah. And taking a, a, an integrated perspective, a holistic perspective on yes. reality itself and to reduce reality to uh, physical things mm-hmm. uh, and not understanding that is a philosophical assumption that one is making. Right. Uh, it can be problematic as we're seeing. Yeah. And it's hard to tell the story of living a good life or living well if you are reducing everything to material matter. All uh, we have to do is ask ourselves today, yeah. how are we doing? Exactly. How are we doing? Let's just take a look around. How are we mm-hmm. doing? Exactly. Well, you know, the statistics are saying we're in Kind of not doing so great right now. Yeah, today. it's interesting, you know, like, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not feeling well, for instance. Let's go look in your brain and see what kind of, chem, yeah. what's your biochemical makeup and what, what neurons are firing in your brain. I'm like, just have a conversation with the person, right. you, know, you know, about how they feel. Right. No, that's not real. That's epiphenomenal. You know, we need to look at the brain and we need to figure out what kind of chemical, what kind of chemical imbalance that is taking place, mm-hmm. which has been debunked, by the way. Mm. But um, the, the 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 idea that it's yeah. you know psychological or uh, mental health is primarily uh, a reflection of chemical imbalance, which mm-hmm. is you no. Know, again, woo woo. You know, yeah. and I think people are acknowledging those things that are really strange. Oh that yeah. One can the 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 thing that we know most prior to brain scans, prior to all that stuff Mm -hmm. is that we have consciousness and that there is a subject here. There's something in us that is aware. Mm -hmm. We do know that there are various psychological phenomena. We have a story that is unfolding in our minds. We're not even aware of that narrative because a lot of it is subconscious beneath the surface of our awareness. And we have this capacity through things like meditative practices, contemplative practices to reflect, to watch, mm-hmm. to observe the thoughts that, as they arise. And ultimately we can observe and, and get to know the story mm-hmm. that we're telling ourselves. That is a value in and of itself. I don't need to do a brain scan. Right. That's, that's, it's interesting. And I think that's mm-hmm. interesting. I, yeah. I'm not opposed to any of that. Yeah. But I think that there are different metaphors, different ways of talking about reality. So you can talk about it from a psychological perspective. You can talk about it from a spiritual p- perspective, mm-hmm. a physical perspective. Uh, and then we can break those down. We can mm-hmm. talk about life in terms of neurological uh, neurons firing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk about, you know, the body, uh, well, not just the body. We can talk about the human experience and just looking at evolution, just look right. at the evolutionary arc, right. you know. That's but, I mean, all but it, great. It's kind of all of those things, right? It's, it's kind of in, of in total. It. It's all collectively happening, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, how do we rethink about what it means to tell the story of humanity, mm-hmm. to tell the story about the world that we're living in? Now, yeah. within that story, that framework, what is the story of living well in that? What is the story of the good life? Mm-hmm. From that pers- by from that larger, yeah. integrated or holistic perspective. Yeah, and yeah. So, well, so you know, to that point, um, you, you know, do you know that Harvard study? Um, it was uh, it was adult. It was an adult study where for they said now it's eighty years they've been following um, some the, the, a group of students um, who were at Harvard and they, they followed them over lifespan. Um, and, um, it, it basically was to say, see, um, where are the metrics that allow for a, a good life, you know, a life of longevity, of happiness, uh, success. And then, I mean, the summary of it was the most important thing in life to address and to value is relationship. It came down to relationships, mm-hmm. okay? That means we're very social creatures, right? We're kind of programmed and wired to be in a social setting, to have social systems, right? So we went from tribal state to nation state. Now we're going from nation state to global state, right? So basically, how do we as a species live on planet Earth without killing the Earth, without killing ourselves, right? It, 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 but it's all relational, 
if we don't recognize the relational nature of it, right, and we polarize, look at the world right now, we polarize within the United States or within, you know, Israel, there was all this polarization. It's like an autoimmune disorder. You start attacking yourself, right? That's right. So it, that's not life inducing. So in, in some, you know, scientifically, if you look at it, what is life inducing? What's life inducing? Well, gee, you know, these spiritual teachings, compassion, care for one another, collaboration, these kind of are helpful in promoting the species, you know, life and continuation. So mm -hmm. why not incorporate them? It's, it's very rational, you know, you can, you can say it's, ooh, la, la, excuse me, whatever it is, it's actually very rational, <laughs> you know, exactly. it makes scientific sense, you know, unless annihilation is your idea, you know, and entropy and annihilation is your theory. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so I think, you know, it, let's look at it in terms of, okay, what serves us well, you know, is to live better in relationship. And interestingly, that relationship starts with yourself. Because yep. if you hate yourself, you're self-annihilating, how do you relate to somebody else? How do you connect with another person in a healthy way, right? So mm. first you want to have that self-compassion, a good relationship with yourself where you can say, hey, you're not bad, you know? I mean, how often do we say, oh, stupid, you did it again? Or, you know, mm -hmm. oh, you idiot, you did that, you know? Right. <laughs> so sometimes we're our own worst enemy, right? We are harshest on ourselves. And so we kind of have to listen to how we speak to ourselves, how we treat ourselves, and then once we have, you know, and then grow self-awareness. I mean, that's so key, but we don't educate to that. You know, we don't, we don't have <laughs> means to, you know, say, okay, kids, we're going to have a self-awareness class here. You know, it just right? doesn't happen. Yeah. Isn't, that strange? Isn't that strange? You know, yeah. isn't that strange? No, education. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. Because mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, here's what's really has bugged me these last few years is, no, many years, but I, I read these books on meaning and purpose, right? Because to live, to live well, you have to know your, you want to live your meaning and purpose. Okay. So we figured that out. I don't know how many people go, I can't figure out this purpose thing. Can you tell me what my purpose, I, I can't, how, can you tell me how to figure out what my purpose is? You know, and, and people struggle with that, mm -hmm. right? Oh, well, meaning. Okay. What's, what's, what's the, what's the meaning What's the most important meaning to me? Um, what's my purpose? What is my purpose? You know, mm -hmm. but if you don't know yourself, if you don't have self-awareness, you really can't figure out your purpose. Exactly. Because you can't figure out how you're going to best serve other people. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that self-awareness piece is so critical, but it's taken us forever to figure out how to get to that self-awareness. You know, I mean, Maslow created that hierarchy of needs a long time ago, mm -hmm. but have we been educating kids towards self-actualization? No. Mm -hmm. You know, do most of us even understand how to get to self-actualization? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we're going to get to that eudaimonia, we're going to talk about that. I think we have to start talking about what do, what do they mean and how do we explore that, you know? Self-awareness. Exactly. How do we do it without necessarily having to pay a therapist, mm -hmm. go to therapy for you know, <laughs> decades, right? Yeah. Which is good, but... Which is good. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Because, you know, therapies help us clarify narratives. Yes. It's all about narrative comprehension. Absolutely. But you I know mean, what? Most people can't afford a therapist, don't have yeah. the time to go to a therapist. And you can't even, even if you could, you can't book a therapist right now. Yeah. Because they're, they're all fully booked. <laughs> yeah. You know, therapists, coaches, whatever, teachers. And I think... Wow, you touched on so many things there. You know, we get we're gonna definitely come back to this relational piece because that's yeah. that's how we got here. That's how we've right. evolved right. as a species. Is that you know our ancestors were co worked together collectively to create little tribes and communities so that they can survive. Yeah, in, in a very dangerous uh, uh, yeah. world yeah. in terms of um, predator prey. Yeah, perspective. Yeah, because. Uh, individually by ourselves we can't do but so much yeah uh, but collectively we're able to do quite a bit and we even if right. language is not even as lang language is relatively innate um uh, we still the, the stories uh, the way that we use language the way that we engage our reason is a result of interacting with other human beings mm -hmm. and that's such an important piece of the puzzle uh, yeah in terms of living well in terms of the, 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 the larger narrative that we have about ourselves in the world. Oh, yeah. 
And you mentioned, you know, uh, we, it starts with the individual. And so I'm going to use, say this, self-help is a good thing. Yeah. And I think that if you think about the ancient Greek philosophy, it's not just the, you know, ancient Greeks, India, yes. all that stuff. A lot yeah. of it was self-help. You look at mm -hmm. yoga philosophy, you look at Vedanta philosophy, um, in the various different traditions within the ancient Greek philosophy, it was all about self-help. Yeah. And now self-help is a boogeyman word. Uh, but I'm like, no, self-help is great. Yeah. And, and there's nothing to be, there's nothing wrong with self-help. Self-help shouldn't be no. relegated to, there's some out there stuff. Yeah. There's some stuff out there. You're like, oh, that's a little crazy. You know, that's, <laughs> there's some, you know, very interesting yes. storytellers in the wellness world that I don't resonate with. Mm -hmm. But if you dig deep into the world of science, there are some very interesting scientific ideas out there that I don't resonate well with either. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, reowning, bringing yeah. back this idea of self-help is good yeah. and self-help starts with what you just said, self-reflection, self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And the fact that in our educational system, we're not taught a basic thing, a basic, um, you call it a practice, yeah. a, ba a basic tool and mm -hmm. education something is off something that's that's telling something about how we are being educated right. Right. as a human being and, mm -hmm. and if we're not taught self-reflection from the very beginning or at least at some point yeah. in our education yeah. something is bad off that is very strange if you just sit back and reflect on that like that is very 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 strange yeah. what is the purpose of my education then right. is it for me to self-actualize and I'm not, well, now I'm not speaking. I don't think you are either speaking, uh, self-actualization and that it's all about me. No. Self-actualization for my own sake. Yeah. No, no, no. That's not no, what no, I'm no, saying. No. Yeah. Right. You, you self-actualize, actualize, or you develop your potential so you can be of service to the whole. Right. You know, you, you develop yourself so that you can share your gifts. Yes. With the with the collective, because we are collective. There's no way around it. Every right, choice right. that I make has an influence on others, not just yeah. other humans, but non-human animals, yeah. all other species, all other life totally. forms, non-life totally. forms. Everything that we do has an impact. Yes. The um, interconnectedness is just beyond our comprehension. Absolutely. You know, but but to your point, why, you know, and I, I love this uh, quote. A uh, Thelonious monk said, you know, a genius is someone who is most like himself. Mm -hmm. Okay. That means he's true to himself, right? He knows mm -hmm. his drives, he knows his motives, and he just lives true to that. He doesn't do what other people are telling him to do. So imagine if you're a heart cell, heart cell says, mm, I, I've been told to run, so I'm going to try to act like a muscle, you know, or, or you know, <laughs> muscle cell says, no, I'm feeling like, you know, a I'm going to act like a liver muscle, you know? I mean, I think that the idea is that within the body, we have cells that have a function, right? And all those functions contribute to the total functioning of the body. So we're kind of like the cells in this organism of humanity. And so if we can figure out, hey, what's my cell function? What is my function? And what am I best at contributing? Then maybe, you know, we become a more efficient society, right? As opposed to everybody going into computer science, you know, because that's the thing to do. Everybody can become a doctor or a lawyer because that was the thing to do in the eighties. You know, I mean, so, um, we need the collective, we need the artists, the musicians, we need all the different, um, cells of the body to have these different functions, right? And some are very unique and some are just a few, but very critical to the function of the body. So, I, I think that I love the analogy of humanity as one collective body. And the, the thing I was going to go back to was say, well, why didn't we just stay in the tribal state? Why aren't we still tribes today? You know, mm -hmm. well, one of the interesting things that happens in, in biology and what's happened with civilization is the more the cells become these collective complex masses, the more the capacity of that organism increases. So you can do a lot more with the more with a greater you know um, complexity of an organism or a system, right? So today, if I want a chicken salad sandwich, I'm sorry, you're vegetarian. Um, so if I want you know a, a, a sandwich um, 
what's vegetarian with an avocado on it. <laughs> I don't have to grow my own avocado tree, harvest my own wheat, grind my wheat and make that bread from scratch and go find an avocado, right? I can actually go and buy those items because we are specialized enough, right? To enjoy the fruits of this complexity, this complex organism, right? Our mm-hmm. lives benefit so much from that complexity. So humanity right now, why not take advantage of that complexity? Instead of fighting, you know, now I'm not going to get all those imports from China anymore. <laughs> you know. I know. It's I mean, it's kidding. But, you know, I think that our, our lives get richer when we can have food from different countries, cuisines of different countries, rather than the same old potatoes and meat, you know. Um, there is there is such a benefit and such an abundance of wealth that just comes from diversity and complexity. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're, you know, we're not in the tribal state anymore. We have, we've evolved to this point probably because it worked better. It felt better. It, mm-hmm. Something about it compelled us to come to this space, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, just. It's been a painful process and some would argue, yes. is it better? You know, I think that there are lots of things that are better about it. And that is inarguable. I don't think you can argue with that. Yeah. Well, uh, I know as a woman, know, I don't want to go back 100 exactly. years. <laughs> Even as a man, I definitely don't want to go back, you know. Um, right. And I think that there are various things that, you know, I wouldn't want to go back to that place. Now, of course, there are people that's living in this, on this planet right now that are living under horrendous conditions. Right. So it is a right. pain, painful process uh, yeah. that we're undergoing. Yeah. And, but I like your analogy. I, I preach this analogy. I I shouldn't probably say preach, but I'm constantly using that analogy of we as a plant, as a planetary organism mm-hmm. and each one of us as a humanity, uh, not just humans, of course, but each one of us as a humanity has a responsibility in that. Yeah. And if we can, uh, again, work on developing ourselves, developing our potential. Yeah. Now, in a particular direction, we do mm-hmm. have agency. And this is arguing yes. about do we have free will and all that. That's a pointless discussion, I think, because we don't have 100% free will. And so any philosopher can, you know, they got their tricks to just make an argument. Um, but we do have the capacity to choose. We do have awareness. We have a capacity to place our attention somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so since we can do that, then we know that there is some movement that's happening, that we are aging, the world is moving forward in some particular direction, but we get to choose what direction that is because we used to, where we turn our gaze. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe we should focus on turning our gaze towards the good. Oh, um, yeah. People are like, okay, well, what is that? Let's have a, that discussion. Yeah, that's absolutely. what we that's, need to have that yes, discussion and absolutely. focus some attention on absolutely. it. Maybe, absolutely. Maybe and let that drive us. Uh-huh. And we need to have a debate about it. But you and yeah. I are going to have different ideas about it. And yeah. from that, can we get a synthesis uh-huh. from that debate that you and I have yeah. about it? Can I pick up something from you? You pick up something from me? And then we come to some agreement, even though we might have certain disagreements, but yeah. we can come to say, okay, then as a collective, mm-hmm. let's give some more attention to this. We can't agree that this is a direction yeah. that is worthy of going. Yeah. Well, so so this is interesting. I, I love this story of heaven and hell. Okay. So um, I want you to think of earth. Okay. But so they said, the story goes, heaven and hell look exactly the same. They look exactly the same, okay? There's a huge banquet table, and there's this feast. This is abundant feast on the banquet table, okay? So, but then you look at the people sitting around the banquet table in heaven, and they're all plump, and their cheeks are rosy, and they're well-fed, you know? They're enjoying this banquet table. And then you look at hell, and everybody's gaunt, and they're hungry, and they're starving. And, you know, well, what's the difference? Oh, but the other thing is, both in heaven and in hell, everybody's hands are kind of stuck, they're tied behind their backs, okay? So, but what happens is, is in heaven, they feed each other. They go, okay, I'm gonna feed you, you feed me, I'm gonna feed you, you feed me. And then in, heaven, in hell, they're going, I'm not gonna feed you, why should I feed you? I'm not eating, so you shouldn't eat either. So being, it's the psychology of it, right? The value system of it. Yeah. So. I mean, if you look at our earth today, maybe that's an analogy for us today. You know, 
Maybe there is plenty here. Maybe we have an abundance of what we need here, but it's our psychology of how we see that. Do we see it as all scarcity or do we see it as abundance to be shared? You know, that's right. How we use it, how we, you know, with 7 billion up going up to possibly 9 billion people, we can survive on this planet. It's not too many people. It's too many people for our current set of values and our current idea, the current narrative. And we feel like we need to get stuck to a particular narrative. So we've covered a lot of things that, uh, um, you know, about what direction we could go and, uh, and why we're not going in that direction. But I want to ask you, what are those, what do, what are the characteristics of the good life, if the or of well being or living well, if it's not just simply having a good job and it's not just simply materially focused? Mm-hmm. What are some of those characteristics associated with uh, uh, living well? Okay, so so at the top of it was that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how how do we relate to other people? What, is what does our, that look like? What yeah. does it look like? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is a, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, it sounds easy, but it's not, right? It's probably the most challenging thing we face, right? Just even within families, right? Um, how do we relate to our parents, our children? Um, I've been part of a class on parent parent care, and it's, uh, you know, this uh, psychologist realized that, wow, to, to assist teenagers, we have to get the parents regulated first, because the parents not being regulated creates teens that are not regulated, kids that are not regulated, right? And then we just perpetuate the process. So, um, so having that relationship piece and working on that every day is is one of our biggest challenges. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so can you say a little bit more about from your perspective? Yeah. Uh, what does that actually look like? What are the qualities, the characteristics okay. of a good relationship are? So, um, that's a big one. Um, we, we talk about unconditional love, but that's a tough one, right? How do we love unconditionally? Um, we talk about compassion. How do we truly have compassion towards our own family members and our own friends, right? Um, how do we have show that compassion within our community? Um, I think it, it's how do we practice uh, loving care, loving kindness, you know, um, how do we practice the virtues, you know, and this comes up with the virtues because part of that self-realization, self-awareness is how much am I in survival mode and how much I'm, am I accessing my character strengths and virtues? And so only by practicing the virtues and strengthening that part of us, us which is challenging, it's like a muscle, right? It's a spirit muscle. Um, only by practicing it, practicing service, can we actually begin to develop, you know, loving care and kindness, loving care and kindness is not easy. Being selfish is much easier, you know, and, and so caring for others is more difficult and more challenging than not caring. Um, but it's more rewarding if you can grasp it and start to practice it. Right. So I think in daily life, it's starting with that. How do I relate to my family? How do I relate to my neighbors? Am I connected to my neighbors? And how am I related to community? Do I have community, right? And today, remember, isolation is one of the biggest issues, challenges we're facing right now. And it's become a health concern, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because people are feeling isolated and that in turn is causing chronic illness. So, um, So I think going back to what makes good relationship, yeah, you have to access those virtues and character strengths, right? It's kind of something that pushes you beyond the survival uh, needs and, and takes you to that space where you are concerned of others and the needs of others, not just your own needs, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's a whole a whole program of you know uh, personal strengthening and and practice that. That again, we're not necessarily educated to, you know, and, and we kind of have to figure it out, muddle through and find out on our own. But, um, but I think we do need some kind of structured, you know, um, process where we're working on those character strengths. How do we work on our character strengths? How do we work on gaining the virtues, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Because ultimately, I think right now, our only school of life is that trial and error, mm-hmm. pain, suffering, you know, loss. Um, we're kind of learning, muddling through the hard way right now. Yeah. I love how you're... You're essentially saying, so I'm trying to target you with a question like, what is it? What are those characters? I love how you're um, suggesting that it is a process and it's something that we have to discover through trial and error, but through engagement. Like mm-hmm. you're saying, you know, compassion, what is that? That's hard. Um, you know, love, what is it? That's hard. It's not just this one thing. You didn't give it just, you know, love means if you do this, uh, and I do that, then we love each other. No, it's not that simple. It's something that is in process, moment to moment, throughout our interactions. And in order for us to actually be loving towards one another and compassionate and all these other positive virtues, uh, we have to be actively engaging it, actively asking the question about it, uh, pursuing it, clarifying it, clarifying it in our own minds and in our, um, the intermind, our, yeah. that mind in between us and through mm-hmm. conversation and dialogue, what is it good? <laughs> what does it yeah. to mean, mean to be loving? You know, cause, yeah. uh, good suggests that there has to be other. It's not just mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Good suggests that to live good, to live well, to live ethically, morally, virtuously there the others are involved and what does that look like and it's there isn't a simple answer and the purpose of the of us having this conversation and this podcast is to is to suggest that it's not a simple answer but just because it's not a simple answer that doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue it yeah we should should i okay for lack of a better word should Mm -hmm. Oh, it behooves us to continuously pursue this idea, this notion yeah. of good, loving, compassion, kindness, all of these positive qualities day to day. And sorry, folks, I don't have a simple answer for you. Right. The, the answer <laughs> is pursue it. Yeah. Listen to others. Tune yeah. into this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, and, <laughs> have and, conversations with others. Right, <laughs> and and you know some of the people that I have found most loving, most compassionate, are the people who have suffered some of the greatest pain. Yeah, in the world, you know, but it's somehow that the, their capacity to overcome that pain became their resilience, became their their powerful love, you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, in each case, I would think, oh my gosh, I would never survive that. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I don't know. I, I don't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. But their example gives me strength and kind of inspires me to think, okay, you know, I can do it. I mean, if they could do it, I can do it. And then by seeing their, those examples, I mean, um, people, you know, like Nelson Mandela, you know, um, people who have gone through great suffering, but still come out compassionate not thinking revenge or not thinking, you know, um, totally able to forgive the enemy or totally able to turn the other cheek, you know, um, those, those are, that's tough. It's not easy. But if we turn to some of the examples that we have as historical figures or people in our lives, a grandmother, you know, um, somebody who showed you that deep love, um, and if we can continue to be inspired by that or the strength and resilience of someone else, um, I, I think those, those, those are beautiful moments. And um, th- those are the moments that trump all, everything else and make you feel that, you know, oxytocin, you know, not the cortisol. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the love hormone, huh? Yeah. The, the bonding <laughs> hormone, yeah. Right, right. Exactly, yeah. This is great. I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with you about a lot, about a lot of what you're saying, um, that, yeah, this is all a process and the, the suffering, the challenges that we have can enable us if we can overcome those, it can enable us to tap into something greater and more beautiful. 
which uh, because is kind we have of, to. Right. And, and I think that, oh, I forgot to mention, I mean, one of the most significant books I've ever read in my life is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, yeah. I mean, that's almost cliche, but, but I thought it was, I mean, when I read it, it was, you know, I, I thought I'd discovered this amazing book, but, um, but for him to distill it down to human choice, right. Mm -hmm. And when you can choose love over hate, that's huge. Yeah. And being loved by somebody and loving them back is kind of natural, you know. But when you can overcome and choose to love in a moment where you're challenged to do either, that's huge, really huge. huge. Um, and I, I thought, you know, his 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 pointing to if we were stripped of everything, what are we left with? It's our yeah. choice. And then to think that. Each day you make over 35,000 choices in a, in a lifetime. To, if you live to be 80, you're going to make over a billion choices, yeah. you know, and the, the collection of those choices make up who you are. Exactly. That's pretty powerful, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where we choose to place our attention. Right. And we have some freedom, some capacity to do that. And where I place my attention now. Yeah. That's going to have a causative effect effect on where I place my attention tomorrow. Yeah, and yeah. and so we have that we can do that, um, yeah. and by placing our attention on something, you know, let that natural will that is in the universe, an agency, yeah, uh, you know that uh, prana from the uh, Hindu perspective, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Indian perspective, yogic perspective, that mm -hmm. energy that is pushing us and driving us. That's there. Mm -hmm. Now we can harness that energy because it's, you know, that, that agency that we have, we're uh, exemplifying that agency by having this conversation. But yeah. we can channel that agency by where we place our attention. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where, how are we placing it? I know I keep saying it, but it's so, so, so important. If yeah. I can place my attention and then put, and, and, and apply my agency my capacity to use this universal agency that's mm -hmm. in the universe, mm -hmm. channel that agency in a particular direction. And that's that, that's, that's our intention. Mm -hmm. and, and if we can intend to transform ourselves, starting with what you said earlier, self-awareness. Um, and then from that space of self-awareness, how am I thinking about myself and how am I thinking about the world? How am I thinking about others? And asking ourselves, can I change it? Can yeah. I transform my situation? Can I choose to place my attention in a direction that's going to allow my life to be better? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's so important to, to have children, you know, or young adults be aware that you do have the choice, right? I think a lot of times we don't necessarily even think we have a choice. Yeah. I, I think we... Uh, you know, what's interesting, we can stay in this reactive state. If we to stick to the emotions, the survival piece, we're all constantly in a reactive state, survival, reactive. But then to, to go over the threshold and move to active agency, now we have to make a choice. Now we have to observe our behavior. And now we have to choose growth, you know. Mm -hmm. So... That, that's that's kind of a, the crooks of the challenge that you know we face, right? Is how much am I just going to drift through life, just being reactive, comforting myself, or am I going to actively become an agent? You know, choose the direction that I want to go in. Choose what it is. What does it mean to have, you know, lived well? So, I, I, yeah, I, I, that's such a big piece of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. We're coming to a close um, and just wanted to, I, I know we can just continue to talk about this. There were so yeah, many I questions. Can... <laughs> I know. I wanted to ask you more questions about your <laughs> your Japanese heritage and how that how that has influenced um, your thinking, your current mm -hmm. thinking. And and I know, you know if you don't mind sharing, I, I know yeah. that you are uh, of the Baha'i faith or you're... Mm -hmm. you, how do you say that you're practicing? Bahai faith, yeah. Oh, you the Baha'i faith. Yeah. Okay, faith. Um, you um, can you share a little bit about that and what influence and impact that has on you? And then, in general, I know we mentioned a little bit yeah. about religious traditions, um, but how does 
that institution inform mm-hmm. you and why do you think uh, institutions are important? Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, um, I think the biggest, uh, the, the biggest influence that it's had, I mean, first of all, if religion is going to be compelling to me, I, to me, it had to be sort of mind blowing. And I think each, each spiritual teaching, spirituality teaching does have mind blowing aspects to it. Um, but in, in the Baha'i faith, one of the, the key, uh, it's interesting because the Harvard study came up with relationship as being some, you know, the key to living well. So in the Baha'i faith, it's one of the core tenets, one of the key tenets is the oneness of religion, the oneness of humanity, oneness of God. In other words, in totality, we are all in the same fishbowl. We are part of one, uh, you know, universe. We're, we're just a, one collective system. So it kind of goes back to it. It all gets reflected in sort of how I see the world, how I want to be in the world. So um, this notion of unity of things and this notion of collectively moving forward um, for the better for all. Um, and that the, the, the notion that religion is relative to the times that they've appeared, but in essence, that it's all coming from one universal collective consciousness. Um, so it, and its purpose is to compel man, human beings, I'm not supposed to say man, <laughs> human beings to collectively <laughs> sort of advance forward and grow towards mm-hmm. a higher state of being. So, you know, in, in each, oh my goodness, in Hinduism, you can find these brilliant nuggets of inspiration. In Buddhism, you know, there are these brilliant so in each religion there are these spiritual teachings that are like gems that can be picked up and um and in essence it's saying that they're universal and to the only parts that have have conflict are the parts that human beings kind of stuck on there you know and Mm -hmm. institutionalized um so we just have to kind of recognize it for what it is i mean science has the same things right science has its biases and science evolves too Spirituality evolves, you know, and science evolves. Um, so we're part of this collective evolution. Um, yeah, that's that's probably how it most informs me. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to ask that question before we leave, but to for that for the very reason that you just just offered that there are various institutions out there, mm-hmm. and there I look at them as stories, mm-hmm. metaphors. No one has it a hundred percent correct because we're we're human we're human beings and we've been processing information in this way i don't let's say max 50,000 years <laughs> if that long um and to think that we have a grasp on the universe completely 100% is just bonkers <laughs> yeah uh and there are a lot of people out there who think that um and i i want to again there's a lot of issues with religious traditions for sure yeah and there's lots of issues with the scientific tradition people don't want to admit it Mm-hmm. but it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can still gain insights from these various different metaphors. Yeah, We don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. There's lots of good in science. There's lots of uh, material science, uh, mm-hmm. science. Cause when we say science, what we're generally referring to is material science. There's lots of good in religious uh, institutions. Yes. There's lots of craziness mm-hmm. um, and lots of things that, need to be updated yeah but there's lots of things in science that needs to be updated it's Mm -hmm. metaphysical assumption needs to be updated um and there are people pushing for it just like the metaphysical assumptions in various religious spiritual traditions need to be updated to the current times but you can still keep the jewels Mm -hmm. the things that has inspired human beings to live a good life yeah, they're like OS systems, right? They're operating systems. They're maps exactly. that constantly get updated, upgraded. You know, updated and up, being upgraded is a good thing, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what this again. I keep saying about this podcast is to inspire us to uh, update our own narratives yeah. about the world and about what it means to be to live well. Uh, that's what I aim Love to it. do Love in my it. conversations with. Uh, brilliant people like yourself um, so that I can be a better person and take these different perspectives and, and take the audience along with me in my uh, journey towards being a, a better human being. I love it. I love it. We're all on this journey. 
right? Yeah. We need each other's help. I need oh, your yeah. help. I need everybody's <laughs> <Likewise>. help. <laughs> totally. I'm, I'm a totally. fallible, imperfect human being <laughs> trying to my best to do good. Um, I hear you. I totally hear you. So before we leave, is there any last thing you would like to leave the audience? Oh, gosh. Um, Final words. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you, if you have the opportunity, um, I like to call... Um, we call it joy, you know, my sister and I um, have joy in your life. And J-O-I is also the acronym for journey of insight. So um, keep exploring what's, you know, what's there in your heart. Um, and uh, I really do believe um, that it can be a, a beautiful and exciting and wonderful journey. This Thank life. You. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Etch. It's been wonderful to have this conversation with you, enlightening and uh, thought provoking, inspiring. And yeah, let's keep this conversation going and, Love and, it. and looking forward to the next one. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Broderick. This, this has been just, it's always great to speak to you. I love it. <laughs> For sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. I hope this conversation has inspired you to reflect on your own views of the good life. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, please follow, write a review, and rate us on your favorite podcast app. If you are tuning in on YouTube, please hit that like button and subscribe. Your support is very much appreciated.